0: And we are live. Hey guys, welcome back to Rankable episode 43. I'm your host as usual, Jared Thomas, Senior Account Executive at iPull Rank. And we have a tremendous episode scheduled for you guys today. And today's topic is going to be why is SEO and the customer journey more important today than ever? So we have a very special guest. Uh, She's a revenue driven SaaS marketing executive with 18 plus years of experience and passion for demand generation and new customer acquisition. She has worked at places like Capital One, Microsoft, Pipeline Deals, and is currently the founder and CEO of 321 Ignition. Um, I'd like to introduce our special guest today, Ms. Lyman Savvy. How are you?
1: I'm doing great. Hi, everyone from Seattle, from Seattle actually today. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> thank you for joining thank you for taking time i know it's pretty early on the west coast but thank you again i know um you know we're happy to have you and i'm really looking forward to, to learning more about you and your experience so for for those who aren't familiar with Three Two One ignition so i just want to give you a quick quick update on what that is so it's basically a mobile first web platform for car dealerships with a design to improve the car shopping experience on mobile so really where i wanted to bring Lyman on today what we want to talk about is just the customer journey right and as you guys know seo is more important than ever today because essentially everything is going digital, right? You've seen that happen with the pandemic, you've heard it a bunch, especially in our industry, digital transformation, right? How do we engage with our customers where they wanna engage It And right now everything is online due to the circumstances, right? And then customer journey, why is that important? Because if you understand the customer journey, you can improve the user experience. And if you improve the user experience, more than likely you'll have an opportunity to improve your yield and results. So we're going to talk today about how are some ways you can optimize for your customer journey, what things you should be looking at, and ultimately how can you drive more traffic and help drive results for your business. So before we do though, let's start at the top uh, Lyman. I would love to you know hear about you. You have an amazing background. So can you tell us a little bit more about your journey and, and kind of how you've been from the start of your career up to the point of you starting three to one ignition?
1: Yes. So I started my career actually first in sales. So I used to do, you know, cold calling, just like outbound cold calling. And Jared, I'm sure you probably know that's a very hard job to do. Very few people do that. You know, it's like, a, it's so scary to pick up the phone and call somebody who's not expecting a call from you, interrupting them. and You're trying to get them to buy right there in the spot on the phone. So that's how I started my career. Yeah. And uh, while I was actually working, I was going to school at night. And my first degree was web design. And so once I graduated graduate with my web design degree. And I'm like, well... And then I started pursuing my business degree, but I'm like, what am I going to do with this degree? You know, I wanted to do something more, you know, than it says, because I want to utilize my technical background as well. Mm-hmm. And so my HR person at the company I was at at that time, which was House Values, which now is Zillow, uh, Zillow acquired House Values. And so he said, like, well, with your background in sales and with your background in web design, he's like, you should go to marketing. And at that time, I didn't even know what marketing was. I was like 20 years old. I'm like, what's marketing? <laughs> so he, uh, luckily, he introduced me to a marketing director at that time, mm-hmm. uh Hoagland, who was amazing. Later on, him and I actually worked together at Microsoft. But uh, he, he told me what it was. And so basically, you know, I just had like an informal interview with him. And then three months later, he called me up and like, oh, I'm, we're about to have a job opening for a marketing coordinator. We want you to <laughs> apply. Like, we're holding this role for you. So I applied and then I started my <laughs> marketing career. And, you know, Jared, just because of my sales background, I was I became really good at customer acquisition lead generation yeah. because, you know, there's nothing can replace your experience in sales. Like most people, people are afraid of sales. They yeah. don't know first thing what it's like to actually do outbound cold calling, like not just, you know, mm-hmm. taking orders of where somebody comes in says I want to buy this. But how do you get somebody to even realize they have a problem like, you know, exactly. cold calling? And so by me being, you know, my, my sales background, I became really, really good at lead generation and customer acquisition. And so fast forward, you know, every company I ever worked at is, they hired me because that's my it was my specialty is. And, and of course I've done everything from, um, Landing page optimization, email marketing, direct uh, uh, direct mail marketing, um, Google Ads, uh, Facebook Ads, um, you know, any kind of social media ads. Like basically, I've done everything from paid media to traditional at home um, TV advertisement, radio advertisement. Like basically, the whole gamut. Got it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love it. I love it. And uh, you, you made a good point, right? I think I say this all the time. And as sales folks, I think we understand that. I think sales folks are usually the best marketers, but it's hard for marketers to turn their sales hat on. And it's the reason why you just you just hit on it, right? You hit the nail in the head. We understand the customer problem. We're on the front lines and we're hearing the challenges. So we understand how they want to be communicated with. And then we could translate that into our campaigns and our projects and what we're doing to, you know, for customer acquisition and demand gen. So sales folks, yeah and marketing should be fully aligned i think they're not aligned in most organizations right now it's a
1: 100 big- you know i think the best the reason why uh, salespeople are really good marketers is because salespeople know that you only have five seconds to grab somebody's time <laughs> yeah and so when you transition to marketing you write copy you write messaging that you know that you know within two to three words when somebody lands on a landing page how are you gonna grab their attention if a person doesn't have a sales background, I usually see copy like really long, you know, extra words. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You have five seconds to grab their attention. And I literally mastered that from being in sales. Like, there's no way I would have been good at that if I didn't do sales at first.
0: Absolutely. And, and before we get into the customer journey, I would love to talk about because we have a lot of sales folks that, that listen to this as well. Like, how did you overcome your fear of cold calling? Like, what was that like, your first cold call? Like, how did you overcome it? How did you get really good at it?
1: You know, it's all about who you surround yourself with. And I yeah. definitely believe that salespeople they feed off each other.
0: Totally. You know,
1: it's only scary if you're sitting at home doing it by yourself. But if you're in a you know organization where you, there's like a you know sales for and all the salespeople are sitting right next to each other, they're just dialing, they're making sales, they're reading the bell, you know, like you yeah. just get energized. And the funny thing is, you know, after when I first got my first marketing job, my mm-hmm. marketing coordinator. Um, all I was doing is email marketing at first. Like the first three years, I was just doing email marketing nonstop. But one of the responsibilities they gave me is to do sales contests. They're like, me, you have all the friends in sales team. Like you should be doing sales contests for them." So I used to do like a bingo sales contest or bowling sales contest. You know, right. like every time you hit like certain metrics, you would get like a bingo. You know, and then whoever gets the first bingo or who gets you know the seven pins or whatever you do. So you know, I, we would always you know make sales fun. Like you know, it's not just about the ultimate sale. But if you're hitting all these KPIs that will get you to the sales and how do you make it as, you know, gamify the whole system? Like, and so, I mean, cold calling is scary. I'm not going to lie. Like, I mean, especially, you know, sometimes you have those days of like, oh, I don't want to be cold calling, but that's why those people make good money. You know, in marketing, guess what? My income was always limited in sales. as, As long as you're selling, your potential was based on you. Nobody can stop you in marketing it doesn't matter how good your campaigns are it doesn't matter how good you are at, you know generating conversions and sales for the company your salary that's it that's all you got
0: yeah. and, that, and that's the, the beauty and the, the gift and the curse of sales right if you really yeah. sell if you really grind hard if you really want it you can, it's limitless, right? You can do whatever you want. You want to buy that new house, you can. You want to buy that new car, you can, right? It's kind of like that Wolf of Wall Street mentality. Whatever yeah. you want to do is attainable, right? So I, I love that aspect of it, right? Like for me, personally, I think you hit the nail on the head. Like energy is everything. Like for me, yeah. what I focused on when I first did cold calls, first of all, you, you can't be afraid of rejection. Nope. That That's the first thing, right? Just get it out your head. They're going to say mm-hmm. no. Embrace the no. It, Embrace yeah. the no.
1: My favorite thing used to be is uh, for every no, I'll be like, thank you so much because now I'm one step closer to a yes. It's a numbers game. That's it. That's it. You, know, you know how many no's you need to get to get to the yes. So the sooner the, the sooner the customer tells me no, I'm like, thank you, I'm one step closer. Next. <laughs> <laughs>
0: totally, totally. And if I was, and if I I still cold call most of the time, but it's not really as much as back in the day when I was like SDR and stuff like that. But for anybody listening that is cold calling, think about just being unique, right? You, know, you have that five seconds, right? Let your personality shine through. Don't be afraid to be creative. You know what I mean? Say something funny. I used to do that all the time because I'd like to joke a lot, right? So I would just hit it like, yes, I'm a sales guy. Yes, I'm calling you for this. And this is what it is. And then we have funny conversations. And from there, before you know, we're five minutes in and now they're listening to my elevator pitch. And now we have a discovery meeting book. So let that shine through. It doesn't have to be so... Oh, next one. Next one. Let me call this one. It doesn't have to be like that. Right. It doesn't have to be status quo. So enjoy it. And like you said, I think you did something really cool. Gamify it. Right. So sales leaders, incentivize your team. Make it fun. You know, it's not the easiest job in the world, but also as long as you're in it together, you can make it happen.
1: Yeah. And you know what? Um, one of the things I think the hardest part about being in sales is that a lot of times salespeople usually the younger you know, people yeah. Yeah. who are very insecure especially when they're talking to the decision-makers who are the C-level executives. Like, I remember that time when I was, you know, 20 years old yeah. and I am like, oh my God. And I would start trembling. Like, I can't believe I'm talking to this person. Like, yeah. I, I don't want to sound like an idiot. But, <laughs> you know, like Now that I'm a CEO, it's like, we're just, you know, we all care about is talk to us, you know, like a, a business person like, to help us solve a problem, not just sound like a salesperson who's trying to sell us something. The key thing is be a subject matter expert at your product. Like even with my company right now, you know, when I talk to dealerships, who is our our target audience, you know, I'm helping them. I'm educating them. I'm helping them solve problems. I'm not just trying to sell them products. Yes, I happen to have a product that solves your problem.
2: Yeah.
1: Here's why we have this product. Here's the problems we're solving. By the way, did you know this? By the way, did you know that? So the key thing with sales is uh, you get confidence by being an expert. So whatever you're selling, become an expert at that. Know that industry, know that target audience, know the competition. Like you have to eat, breathe, sleep with that product. Like you can't be a salesperson without being a product expert, an industry expert. So you have to be. And then as soon as you're an expert, you have the confidence through the roof. Hmm.
0: Absolutely. That's a rankable moment. We've got to clip that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> but, oh, um, a moment. That's a
0: rankable moment right there. And um, Blimey, you touched on it too, because you, you did, obviously you're in the automotive space. You deal with a lot of dealerships. So can you just shed a little light on some of the challenges they're facing from an online perspective? Like, What are some challenges that you hear on a day-to-day basis and especially when it comes to SEO and customer journey?
1: Oh my God, there's so many challenges. I mean, the <laughs> last I started this company, it was actually by pure accident. Really? I I never worked at a car dealership before. I never sold a car before in my life. I never even thought twice about it. I'm not even a car person, you know, (laughs) I have a Mercedes, but I'm not like, oh my God, I got to, you know, go pimp it out with wheels. Like I don't even care about wheels. Like as long as it's a exterior, beige interior, that's all I care about, you know. And so I came across this opportunity by accident because I had a friend who worked at a car dealership since she was 17 years old. Uh And the dealership was, her brother owned a dealership and they were doing really, really well. Despite of how bad our marketing was, <laughs> it's almost like they were just the right place, the right time, the right location, you know. Uh, but that was of course pre-COVID, when people actually used to walk into the dealership, yeah. you know. And so she was constantly asking me, you know, for help with marketing because you know I've been doing marketing for 19 years. And so she would always ask me like, because we were best friends. So she would ask me, you know, like, let me think about this. What do you think about that? So the more and more I kept helping her, and by helping her, I'm like, you should be doing this. And she's like, well, I can't because my vendor doesn't do it. I'm like, well, you should be doing this. She's like, I can't because there's that limit. I'm like who the heck are you using? Like, who are your vendors? <laughs> I'm like, are you trying to like save on vendors? Are you using some cheap providers? Like what's going on? Yep. And then we started doing research on the automotive space. That's when I realized how outdated it is. You know, the, is, now actually post COVID things have changed a lot. Uh, right. But pre COVID, like I remember my first conversation with one of the deal, huge dealer groups here in Washington state I was talking to the marketing director and I was telling him about the importance of a customer journey and the customer experience and the website. And he's like, Lyman, he's like, I don't want them to be on my website. He's like, I just want them to walk into my showroom. As soon as they're in my showroom, I'm going to close them. But you, Jared, and I know millennials and Gen Zs, we don't work that way. <laughs> <at> me, <no. laughs> we grew up with the most powerful tool in our history, which is the internet. Yep. We've everything on the internet. And millennials and gen z are the most skeptical generation in our, of our lifetime and it's because we have internet yeah. we don't even trust doctors like we go and google whatever doctors tell us like do you think they're gonna trust a lawyer or a car dealer or car salesman no they're not right uh, and so like one of the things i always keep educating my dealerships is you know and they always think that you know the less information the more you know, likely you're going to get them i'm like no you're not first so you're not going to get them in and second of all one of the there, there's actually research about this in Harvard Business Review, they've done this research. I think it was like 50,000 or 56,000 shoppers, and it wasn't for industry specific, it was across all industries, but it's a lot of shoppers that they studied. And yeah. they that said that there's a high correlation between increasing customers' trust, consumers' trust, yeah. and their basket size not only how likely are they to purchase from you, but also how much money they're willing to spend with you. Yeah. So the more you improve the customer journey, the customer experience on your website, you know, people used to think that Internet is going to steal revenue from um, brick and mortars. Yeah. But internet is actually helping consumers improve their experience at the store because they do their research online. They still buy it in store, but they're now more confident about the decision they're about to make, especially if it's a complicated decision like electronics or cars or whatever. You know, it's not going to do supermarket and buying a bubble gum for 25 cents you yeah. know like things you want to do some research you want to feel confident you're not making a mistake that there's not something better so instead of you know trying to hide things think about how do you improve customer trust. that's you know one of the key things i always focus on and jared i totally forgot what your question was
0: no no you, you hit the nail on the head as far as um like the customer what, what are the challenges facing the automotive industry you think you hit it on the head like because yeah. When I first started dealing, at least in in online space, right, I started in display advertising, and then I used to work with a lot of automotive dealers, and their cost per acquisition was extremely high. The sales cycle is extremely long and they would have to do so many different things, probably like $60, $70 just to get a lead through the door and get them to the dealership. And there was no guarantee once they got to the dealership that it was going to close, right? But they were, you know, as you know, used car salesman, we always use that in the sales world. You don't want to be the used car salesman guy, right? But um, like, what did that customer journey look like now? Being that they had to adapt and not have people in store, what does that look like? And and really is a lot of consumer education that's needed to get them to that point, right? So how have they adapted and, and how is your platform kind of help them uh, shift that way
1: well so one of the things besides even just you know customer journey in terms of you know transparency and everything yep. one of the trends that i noticed that for some reason a lot of people are not noticing is the mobile mobile usage yes. majority of the internet traffic now is actually mobile surpassed desktop in 2019 yep. and so when you're thinking about the customer journey it's not just about what information you have but what is the experience like on a mobile device if you think about it jerry remember back in the days uh, when internet was first created yeah. and we knew that if uh, we go to a website for a company a business store whatever we knew that the webs is going to have limited information versus if we go into the store or call the store yeah. but then consumers started expecting they demanded and expected that the webs is going to have the same information as if they were talking to somebody at the store.
2: Exactly.
1: Then mobile came around and people knew that, Hey, if I go to desktop website, I'm going to have more information than if I go on a mobile. Cause remember mobile used to have like, yep. you're seeing this little splash page and it says, click here to view a full site. But then if you click to view a view yeah. site, shrink and you know, all that stuff. So people knew that Hey, if I'm on a mobile device, I'm going to have a worse experience than if I go on a desktop. But now consumers expect the same experience on a mobile And even better, because mobile has a lot of features that improve customer journey and experience than they do on desktop. And so it's really important to look at your Google Analytics and see, actually, where's your traffic coming from? What device are people shopping on? You know, some industries, maybe it's 50-50, but majority of the dealerships now, it's like 70% mobile and, you know, 30% desktop. And most importantly, I know your social media is important to you. Guess what percent of Facebook audience is mobile versus desktop?
0: I would assume 90, right?
1: Exactly. <laughs> so, 90. You know, Facebook is a publicly traded company, so they publish all that information. And yeah. a majority, like 90% of a Facebook audience is mobile. Instagram, until recently, only like a few months, I think ago, maybe less than a year ago, they didn't even have a, a desktop version of the Instagram. It was only mobile. So yeah. imagine, you know, companies are spending all this money and resources on buying media for social media, creating the ads, targeting, creating the landing pages, and all that stuff. And then they're landing people on the on the landing page on the website that's not doesn't give them a good mobile experience. It's like beyond me, why people are not paying attention to the mobile.
0: Yeah. Yep. You hit the nail on the head, right? And then that's something why why Google is actually shifting to the mobile first, right? So for those not familiar with it, right, Google is moving to a mobile first indexing. So what that basically means is that they're using a mobile version of the content for indexing and ranking. So basically what Lyman said is completely true, right? Majority of users now access Google search with mobile devices. And now Google want to make sure that they primarily call index pages, you know, with their smartphone agent going forward. So it's very important for you guys to make sure that you're, you're mobile. There is no mobile parity, And what that is, is making sure that you have the same experience on desktop and mobile, right? It's going to be very, very important for you.
1: Yep. And um, especially for local businesses, because all local businesses, it's almost like ninety percent is mobile. You, you, you have have
0: to. To. Yep, you absolutely have to. So another another question I was going to ask you as well. So um, so what as far as SEO or matter of fact. Like, as far as customer in, in, in journey, right? Like, what are some things that, let's say, for instance, if I'm an automotive dealer, um, I'm used to doing it the same way, the old way, in terms of, hey, having them come into the site, what are some things that I should be looking at in order to improve my customer journey and improve the user experience and how I interact with my customers? What are some things that they should be looking at?
1: Yeah, so this is actually a million-dollar question because it's so hard to explain it without actually showing you visually.
0: Yeah,
1: you know, yeah. majority of websites are mobile responsive. Yeah, really what you need is a mobile first website. The difference between mobile first and mobile responsive is that with mobile first, it basically means that the UX UI designers started designing for the hardest device first, which is the mobile device, because mobile device has the most amount of limitations. You know, the Internet load speed, the screen size and everything. So the idea behind mobile first, is once you've perfected the user experience on a mobile, which is the most restricted part, then how do you scale it up and go to the desktop? Versus a mobile responsive, you're starting with a desktop, which has the least amount of limitations. You have a limited space, an internet, you know, uh, uh, bandwidth is very fast. And then you're creating this website with all the complexities, and then it just responds to mobile, meaning, like, the things just move around. But it wasn't really designed for a mobile device. And so when you look at the side-by-side examples of a mobile response versus mobile first, the difference is just, like, it's so noticeable. Like, uh, at first, you don't realize it because... Yeah, I'm sorry. There was somebody to know I'm just (laughs) Uh, So, like, at first, you know, when you, a lot of people actually, especially small local business, like, when I talk to dealerships, you know, because they could see their website on a mobile device, they think their website is mobile first. They're like, well, I could see my website on a mobile. And I'm like, well, your website is accessible on a mobile device, which means it's mobile responsive. But it doesn't mean it's designed for a mobile user. And so, like, for example, um, what I normally see in the automotive world as a car dealerships, it's an e-commerce platform, just like, you know, retail stores, you you show inventory. So for example, you'll see their top navigation, the logo would take up like half the screen size with, you know, the phone number and the menu bar. But a mobile first website would have had a click to call, click to drive, instead of, you know, spelling out the phone number, you know, and having, you know, big thick uh, uh, menu bar and the logo really huge, you know, sizing the logo to fit good on a mobile device. Or another example is like, for example, if you go to a search results page, you know, when you're searching for a product and you yeah. land on a search results page, the mobile responsive website, a lot of times you will see a filter as a button. A yeah. filter should not be as, but like a filter should not take half your screen size yeah. you know, or like a sort bu- buttons, like, you know, things will move around and like you land, oh, sorry, I don't know if you could see it. No, yeah. you land on like a search results page and like a half the screen is just taking up at the logo, phone number, menu, sort by and filter by. And I'm like, where's the cars? Where's the product? <laughs> you have to go down to see that. Versus like, if you look at any of our dealerships on Armable First Platform, like you will see everything is compartmentalized because yeah. less is more. Including, like for example, copy and messaging. If yeah. you take, you know, a paragraph of copy and you put it in the desktop, it looks short. It looks easy to read. You put the same amount of copy on a mobile because it's all condensed. It's gonna look like, oh my god, there's so much copy, and nobody's gonna read copy. People don't read; they scan.
0: You're right. So you got a book on your page, right?
1: <laughs> and so, when you're designing for mobile, you really have to think about like, if you were the user, if you landed on the site. Is this welcoming for you? Is it? There's a famous book called Think Fast, Think Slow. It's one of my favorite books. I obsess over it. And it talks about how our brains process information. And so, you know, sometimes when we see information, even though, yes, we can comprehend it, but it forces our brain to stop and think about it. As soon as your brain needs to stop to think about it, most of the time people ignore it because we were lazy. And we're like, we're going to go to the next thing, which means you never come back to it so the key exactly. with you know mobile first and thinking about mobile user experience is how do you make the messaging where it's a go, going back to sales five seconds you know can you grab get their attention with few words remove any extra words like i always tell my copywriters i'm like mm, that's a that's a waste of somebody's energy reading that word remove that word oh, that doesn't add value remove that word like just exactly. keep being ruthless about trimming the information but the one thing i want to point out though it's important though that uh mobile first website doesn't mean it has less content it still has the same amount of content because it's important for seo ranking and everything but it's about how you package it and how you actually display it on a mobile device so because you still of course need content for organic ranking but you have to optimize not just for google bots you have to optimize for the user too for the consumers and a lot of times i see companies optimizing for the bots you know they have so much content where you know sure the bot crawled it, but then people land on the site and bounce. Or, you know, they don't actually engage with the website, which also is going to hurt your organic ranking.
0: Absolutely. I think you hit the nail on the head. And it has to be be a delicate balance, right? You have to, one, create your mobile site for the user, but you also have to look at Google as a user itself, right? I think that's a main thing that a lot of people miss, right? And also, Kevin, if if you're listening to this, can you drop the the Pareto link? Because we actually have a free tool that actually you put in your website and it shows you the disparity between mobile and desktop. So, yep. cool. so, if anybody's watching, they want to check out, see if there are some mobile disparities, please go in, It's a free tool, use it up. <laughs> right.
1: Yeah, um, and that's really, really important because to your point, once Google switched to mobile first indexing, which I think they did it in March,
0: officially, yep. they're about, uh, yeah.
1: Yeah, because I mean, they delayed a couple of times. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the key thing with mobile first indexing, it's not just the technical SEO, you know, can Googlebot crawl through the information, but does your mobile site have same amount of content? as desktop because if mobile has less content then Google sees less and then your getting is going to start dropping. So the parity is, is essential.
0: Absolutely. Definitely essential. And then um, like what kind of as far as SEO, what are what are some things, especially for your industry, right? What are some things that you think are they should be focused on as in terms of dealerships? What are some things that you recommend to them moving forward, especially with some of the changes coming in the pipeline from Google?
1: I I mean, you know, the core web vitals they're about to, I think actually they're either already went live or Google's about to release and they, I think they also delayed it to June, mid June or whatever.
0: It's hard to keep up. I think they were gonna launch it last month and then now it's like this month and I saw an update yesterday. So I have to do so, I have to check to see if that was it, but um, yes, it's coming.
1: Yes, and so basically Google is now saying that because majority of users are on a mobile device, it's not just about, do you have the content, but also, you know, the user experience, which is the core web vitals that Google is now looking at. To uh, and that's going to be part of their organic ranking. And yeah. so, um you know, the key thing is to, of course, and you know, pay attention to that and log, log into your Google Search Console. Your Google Search Console will tell you, you know, how to is, do you have a good mobile experience? So it's not just is your content accessible, but what's the experience? The experience is really, really key. Exactly. Um, and I mean, there and just even beyond you know, the Google, we keep always talking, always talk about Google, you know, cause Google is, you know, it's important of course, <laughs> but you know, one of the things I always talk about is um, customer experience is a competitive advantage for yeah. a business. You know, if you think about, you know, what are the business strategies? You know, a business could have a price leadership strategy, you know, where they're gonna be the lowest c- cost provider or there could be a product differentiator which is you have the most unique product nobody else even comes close to you, but we know most most products are good enough they're they're all pretty much the same yeah. so if you think about price leadership and um the product differentiation those are very hard to compete with
2: yes. but the
1: customer experience is a free thing that any business could actually implement and it's sustainable because customer experience actually doesn't mean you're hurting your profit margins, so you're not reducing your prices. It doesn't mean you can having to, you know, produce unique products. So like if, if you're a car dealership or if you're a company that doesn't have their own product but resells another product, yeah. you know, customer experience is your competitive advantage.
2: Absolutely.
1: And people are actually now we're so used to that, you know, Amazon spoiled us, Zoom spoiled us, you know, uh DoorDash delivery, you know, spoiled me because I don't when I go into grocery stores, like I don't have time for that. And <laughs>
2: so
1: I'm willing to spend more money if somebody helps me save time, like make me more productive. And so customer experience, in addition to Google, the it's, what I obsess over is what's the customer experience on a mobile device? So like when somebody's doing their research while they're, you know, sitting on a subway commuting, you know, thinking about I need a car, you know, or what's the experience when they're sitting on a couch watching TV and have their babies in their hands? you know it's a what's the customer experience is the
0: key thing absolutely and and getting to know your audience right if you if you understand what your audience expects from your brand then it's way easier to cry, to provide the optimal experience for them right what kind of content they want to consume from you, what they expect from your brand right there's so many positive benefits from having a good mobile experience and understanding the customer journey versus not right if yeah. you don- they come in, they bounce. It can have negative brand sentiment, right? Like say if I go there, I'm trying to find a new Sonata or something like that. I'm looking, for, I'm actually looking for a new car. If I go to your site, it's not over responsive or doesn't give the content or show the product in a way that uh, resonates with me or what I'm looking for. I'm going to leave and find somebody who does, right? So you could be losing valuable money by just making simple optimizations and making sure that you have that good experience.
1: Yeah, and so here's a good question. You're looking for a car right now. Uh, what percent of the time are you looking for a car on an individual dealership website versus consumer marketplace websites like auto trade and car gurus?
0: Consumer marketplace.
1: Exactly, G- guess, guess what? The, the consumer marketplace websites are mobile
0: first. E- exactly.
1: And, and you're it because it's easier for you to sort of shop for it. And you probably want to see a new car you like, you probably click to go to the dealership website and you're like, ah! And you immediately bounce and go back to the marketplace.
2: Exactly.
1: And, and guess what, marketplace websites they actually make it difficult for businesses to compete because all you're competing on is the price and the product, which you have no control over. Yeah. So, but I, if you focus on making sure your website is the best experience, then consumers are actually, now you're competing on experience. of what it's like to buy from your dealership, what it's like to, you know, to uh, the life of a customer It's like when I, because I have a Mercedes and when yes. I, you know, I'm right now uh, need to uh, get a new Mercedes. And, I'm, you know, there's one Mercedes here in Bellevue where I live, and they have the worst customer service. Um, but, you know, I'm thinking about, but what happens once I buy the car? I need to service my car. I don't want to go all the way to Linwood. And exactly. so, you know, you really have to think about the, you know, when a customer comes to your website and they're doing the sales process, they're having a hard time. The first thing comes to mind is like, what's going to be my experience after I buy the car? Because that's actually the bigger pain point, because now I'm going to own this car for three to five years, whatever.
0: Exactly exactly and i think that applies to b2b market it applies to every brand right not just the same thing with like um i, I say it for the b2b like this it's so antiquated that's why i'm so big on personal brand but back in the day you remember it, you, you you fill out a form and then you get a call from the sdr the sdr takes a couple of questions down then he send it to the sales guy the sales guys ask the same question oh my god when
1: I mean, you me started on this Whoever <laughs> came up with the stupid SDR model, I don't know what needs to be done to that person because that is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. Like, I've a, there's been companies like where I was a serious buyer and I would contact, but I'm a CEO, I don't have a lot of time. Like, I work at two, three o'clock in the morning. So, when I'm inquiring and I want to know the first of all, any company who doesn't publish the prices online. Stop doing that. Yes. <laughs> you, you not in my business that way because I don't have time. Like, why are you hiding your, your price? Like, what is there to hide? Like, are you ashamed of your prices? Do you not stand behind your prices? Why do people could have like?
0: You know where they're going to say go? competing on prices. They don't. They want the competitors to know and undercut them. That's what. That's people the
1: competitors will the know. Point. Guess what? It's easy to you know to do a secret shopper calls. Competitors will know. But all you're doing is hurting your consumers. So one, you know, it pisses me off when companies don't publish the prices. Two is when I get an SDR who doesn't know the product, who's very junior, doesn't know anything about what I'm going through. Is this he overcome the problems that I'm trying to solve for? And he's just like, well, let me first find out if this is a good fit. Dude, don't waste my time trying to figure out if it's a good fit. I will tell you if it's a good fit. Tell me who your product is, and then I will tell you if it's a good fit.
0: I mean, oh my, it, it's so it, it's so simple, but the fact that we still do it is just beyond me, right? And that's all I preach on LinkedIn, right? Like, how do we make a frictionless sale? You're a CEO, yeah. if you said you want what you want when you want, you're running a business. You don't have time to have five different calls to get one product and then yeah. get a the customer success call, launch it off and all. It's unnecessary, right? So what we do,
1: What's uh, great is you're, when I used to be in sales, the uh, one thing I learned is the hardest thing to do is to get a decision maker on the phone. Yeah. Why would anybody let go of the decision maker on the phone with them? What is wrong with you?
2: There you
1: go. the Decision maker on the phone. Keep him <laughs> on the phone. trying to sell the product. Why are you telling him somebody else is going to come? Guess what? When another person calls him, that person's not going to be available. Then you're going to be spending all the time chasing them, trying to get them back on the phone. So why would you ever let him off the phone?
0: That's, that's it right there. That's <laughs> it right there. You, you think that's another rankable moment? And I just realized we're over. So. I don't want to keep you longer, Lyman, but I just want to say thank you so much for for coming today. It, I enjoyed this conversation It went over. <laughs> but um, you know, we're, we're, I'm definitely a fan of yours. I'm definitely rooting for you. And I would love to keep in touch. And if anybody's watching this, you want to keep in touch with Lyman, please connect with her on LinkedIn. She's a great person. Um, would love to share insights. And um, we look forward to another episode next week. We have the influencer marketer of HubSpot, Anton, coming to join us. So it's gonna be a really good one. Influencer one on How do you track how do you measure it and how do you successfully launch those campaigns
1: oh so give a shout out to anton that's my buddy
0: oh really <laughs> my
1: awesome buddy yes right. my rush.
0: small yep yeah, yep yeah. small world <laughs> small world yep so thank you again limey it's a pleasure and um uh, thank you for everybody attending we'll see you guys next week have a great one
1: right. bye, take, take care bye